Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I am your host, Kadra, and I am very grateful you guys have decided to join me today. This is going to be a unsolved true crime case. So those cases are very important to me. I do not think this case has been as publicized as it should be. So I I want this story to get out to as many people as possible. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And I hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast so far. If you have, the best way to help and support the podcast is to leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Just hit the five-star button or the star rating button. You can also follow the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Those are the best ways you can support the show. And for other ways to get in contact with me and support the podcast, please check out the show notes in the episode description. This episode was listener requested, so thank you so much for requesting this, fellow listener. If you want to make a listener request, you can always DM me on Instagram or you can send me an email. My Instagram is Perplexity Mystery Podcast, and my email is perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Trigger warning for today's episode like I said, this is a true crime case. It is going to involve murder, violence, alleged domestic violence and assault, um, alleged suicide as well, and this case does involve children. So trigger warning for sure today, everyone. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners below the age of 16. Also, please note all of the sources that I used in today's episode will be in the show notes, with the exception of one source that will be remaining anonymous. In the words of Peggy O'Hare from the San Antonio Express News, quote, Charlie Wheeler and Nicole Olson came from different worlds. He was raised amid comfort, horses, and Christian faith. Her past was marked by loss and hardship. They met on Instagram and seemed meant for each other. Then, tragedy struck. Tuesday, January 10th of this year marked the four-year anniversary of the death of 37-year-old Nicole Olson and the murders of her two daughters, 16-year-old Alexa Denise Montez and 10-year-old London Sofia Bribiescas. Nicole's death was ruled a suicide, and the two little girls' deaths were ruled as homicides. They would be found laying together, all with gunshot wounds to the head, side by side, in a narrow hallway, in the upstairs of a million-dollar home in Bexar County in San Antonio, Texas. The home belonged to Nicole Olson's boyfriend, Charlie Wheeler. Today, the investigation remains open, and to me, the more you look into this case, the more question marks appear. There are a lot of unanswered questions. So what led up to this tragedy? Well, to understand this, we first have to start at the beginning. 
Nicole Olson was born in California in the year of 1981, and she later moved to San Antonio, Texas with her family. Her dad worked for a construction company. He had a lot of issues, though, and he tragically died from a heroin overdose, and this was when Nicole was only seven years old. It was also two days before Christmas, and Nicole was very close with her father, and of course she's only seven years old, so this was incredibly traumatic for her, I would imagine. And after this loss of her father, Nicole's mother also started to cope with the loss by turning to alcohol. So according to Nicole, her mother became a functional alcoholic. When Nicole was only 15 years old, she became a mother. She gave birth to a son who she named Skylar. And her junior year of high school, she actually dropped out, but then later returns to get her GED. When she was only 16 years old, she married Skylar's father, a guy named James Nobles, but they divorced just one year later. When Nicole was only 20 years old, her mother died unexpectedly one day after Christmas. And at the time, Nicole also had a younger brother. He was only 13. So when she lost her mom, it would then become Nicole's responsibility to take care of her 13-year-old brother. And again, Nicole is just 20 years old at this point. Nicole began to work several low-paying jobs, the only jobs she could obtain since she was young and she didn't have a significant education background or work experience yet. She worked tirelessly to ensure that her son, Skylar, and her teenage brother were provided for. And in her 20s, Nicole would later remarry to a man named Carlos. In 2002, they would give birth to a beautiful daughter named Alexa. Carlos was a Marine, and because of this, they lived in Hawaii for some time. Carlos and Nicole remained married for four years, but in 2006, they got a divorce. That same year, Nicole began to pick herself up and pursue her own passions. She started getting into cosmetology, and she got her cosmetology license, and she became a hairstylist. She moved back to her hometown of San Antonio with her daughter, Alexa, and she met another man named Hector, and they got together. By 2008, she and Hector had a daughter who they named London. Hector and Nicole did not get married, though, and they eventually broke up. But they were amicable, and they shared custody. And I believe Nicole and Carlos, by all accounts, were also amicable, the man she was with before. So she has had multiple relationships, but also a lot of this happened when she was incredibly young. And by all accounts, she kept good relationships with the fathers of her two children. So Nicole is working in cosmetology. She is also known to be a really great mother to her two kids, Alexa and London. And cosmetology school seemed to pay off because she became a very successful hairstylist. Her clients loved her and they always came back. She was also incredibly beautiful. She had a vivacious and very energetic personality. 
And she also began to work on building a watch and jewelry company with two of her close friends. So she would model uh, on social media with these watches and jewelry. She was very social. She enjoyed spending time with her family and friends. And everybody described her as vivacious, energetic, strong, a great mother, and a great person. Her oldest daughter, Alexa, became a cheerleader when she entered high school. She also spent her free time volunteering at their local church. And her father, Carlos, Alexa's father, described Alexa as awesome, caring, and giving. She was very popular and loved around school and known to be incredibly kind to the point where she was known to give away her own lunch money if someone didn't have a lunch or money to eat. With Alexa getting closer and closer to her senior year, a very exciting time in a teenager's life, she started dreaming about college and she plans to attend Texas A&M University. And she wanted to study medicine to become an obstetrician. So clearly a very driven, well-rounded individual. And she's also, of course, beautiful, talented. So Alexa has a lot going for her. And she also had a boyfriend at the time named Isaiah. Nicole's youngest daughter, London, was only 10 at the time of the murders. And she was in fifth grade. Her father, Hector, described London as vibrant, kind, and well-liked. London loved animals, especially monkeys, She loved the color purple and singing, and she dreamed of someday being able to audition for America's Got Talent. In support of her dream, Nicole had actually enrolled her in singing lessons, and family members would later say that London had the voice of an angel. London meant the absolute world to her father, Hector, and she inspired him to wake up each day and keep going. Around 2014, Nicole got a new boyfriend, and the relationship seems to have been quite toxic. Nicole was actually arrested on suspicion of misdemeanor assault. Nicole said that they had been fighting, um, and the guy she was with dragged her out of the house. Police reported during the time of the arrest that Nicole was intoxicated, but she did not appear erratic. Nicole said they started arguing after she saw her boyfriend's phone and he had been talking to another woman. She actually struck him in the face with an open hand and admitted this later to the officers. The boyfriend did have a bruise on his left eye as well as an abrasion on his knee. The boyfriend told the officer he tackled Nicole to the ground after she kept hitting him. And after the boyfriend was not cooperative with the police, charges against Nicole were actually dropped a year later. So I think this is important to note, given the circumstances of the murder and it allegedly being a murder-suicide. She does have a history with domestic violence, but the boyfriend clearly took equal part in it, and we don't know the circumstances of everything that happened, but... It does add another piece to the puzzle that we want to consider. Nicole's oldest child, Skylar, was 22 at the time of the murders. He was living on his own, 
and Nicole and her two daughters, Alexa and London, moved in with Nicole's boyfriend, Charlie Wheeler. So, flashing forward to how they met. So, this is um, a little while after Nicole gets out of this abusive, toxic relationship with this other guy. As I mentioned earlier, Nicole had her watch and jewelry company that she was promoting on Instagram. She was building up that business with her two friends. So she's making all these posts on Instagram and Charlie came across one, thought she was beautiful, direct messaged her, and they started talking. So let's talk about Charlie so that we can understand his background. Uh, You'll see it is very different from Nicole's. So Charlie grew up in Fredericksburg, Texas, which I've been to before. It's a very wealthy uh, community. There's a lot of open land. It's wine country. And he grew up in a very nice home with two married parents that had successful careers. He came from a lot of money. And Charlie had a brother that was two years younger than him named Justin, His dad worked in the rodeo business, and he was a team roper. His mom trained horses and did barrel racing. So Charlie grew up around this rodeo environment. And when Charlie was a junior in high school, he left public school and was homeschooled for reasons I'm not sure of. He later graduated high school, though, and he went to college at Schreiner University but he attended there less than a year before dropping out. When he was still 18 years old, he began to follow in his family's footsteps and he got into the world of rodeo. So Charlie actually competed in the rodeo for three years and he must have done pretty well because he used his winnings to start a security gate company called On The Go. And at this point, he's only 21 or 22. So to be able to start your own security gate business when you're in your early 20s, that's pretty wild to me. And when he was just 24 years old, he sold the company. So he only kept it for a few years. But during the time that he had this company, it made millions of dollars. And later in 2011, he started working in oil, another very rich, prosperous field to be in. And he started an oil services company called OTG Services. The company took off, and within just a few years, he had over 100 employees. And again, he's 24. But for whatever reason, in late 2016, OTG Services shut down and stopped operations. And so then Charlie started working for his dad on various projects in the fields of ranching, oil, and gas. Charlie and his family, as I stated before, were very wealthy, and they had known political ties with Bexar County. Charlie also had several run-ins with the law, DUIs, DWIs, public intoxication, traffic violations, but it seems all of these charges were dropped time and time again. And so I think his family being wealthy and again being involved in politics, it was probably pretty easy. And also just as a young, successful, wealthy white man to be able to get rid of these charges. 
And in 2017, Charlie Wheeler was able to purchase a 4,500 square foot million dollar house in private and secluded Bexar County in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a very wealthy area. The home was in a gated community with security guards posted at the gate to enter. The home is insanely beautiful. I saw it on a real estate video online. And in addition to this, Charlie also has two very expensive, nice cars, a Range Rover and a Maserati. And he was only 31 years old at the time of the murders. So now that we know about Nicole's background and what led up to this and her kids, and now we know about Charlie, um, let's talk about what happened after they got together. So Charlie and Nicole met in person in the summer of 2016 at a resort after they had been talking for some time on Instagram. Nicole was at the resort with a friend named Vanessa for business, and Vanessa was one of her closest, closest friends. Vanessa was involved in the watch and jewelry business, and she will come up throughout the story. So Nicole invites Charlie to meet up with them at this resort, and he came. So Vanessa described Charlie at the time as courteous, respectful, and self-assured. Charlie was six years younger than Nicole, and according to Vanessa, Charlie expressed his interest in Nicole from the very beginning. He was very insistent on pursuing her, so the age gap clearly didn't bother him. But Nicole told Vanessa that she had reservations about the relationship, not only because of the age difference, but also because Nicole got the impression Charlie did not want children. And despite this, Charlie and Nicole still got in a relationship, and it seems to take off pretty quickly. Nicole's jewelry business also was growing, and she even featured Charlie in a promo video for the business. In the video, Charlie and Nicole seem very affectionate, happy, and in love, but who's to speculate what was actually going on behind closed doors? After almost a year of dating, Nicole moved herself and her two daughters out of their apartment complex and into Charlie Wheeler's insanely beautiful mansion. During the weekdays, Alexa and London lived at the mansion, and on the weekends, they stayed with their biological fathers, Carlos and Hector. The situation seemed stable, and Charlie's family also had a good relationship with Nicole and with Nicole's family. Nicole's friends also felt that Nicole had maybe found something good and stable here, which she definitely needed, so they were excited for her. But of course, as we know, this all would change. So on the night of January 9th, 2019, Charlie claims he and Nicole had a big argument. And this is according to Charlie's statement to the Bexar County Sheriff's Office uh, the morning that the bodies were found. So Charlie claimed after the argument, he left the home around 10 p.m. Some sources I found said that he stayed at an undisclosed relative's home. Other people said he stayed with a friend, uh, with his parents. So I got a lot of different answers on that, which I thought was kind of weird. And it seems like whatever Nicole and Charlie argued about was also never released to the public. So Charlie claimed after the argument, 
he had been calling and texting Alexa, Nicole's daughter, and that he had also been contacting London and Nicole, or attempting to. None of them were responding. That was from one source. Another source that I heard was that Charlie was texting Alexa, and Alexa had responded to him saying that Nicole was acting strange after he left. So again, just a lot of question marks here. Nicole was also scheduled to work at her hair salon the next morning, and she didn't show up for work. So Nicole's friend and co-worker, Bethany, texted her saying, hey girl, your client's here. But of course she would never receive a response from Nicole. So on that morning, January 10th, Charlie had heard nothing back from Nicole or the girls and he drove back to his home. And when he arrived, he claims he parked his truck in the garage and entered the home. And when he found all three of them dead upstairs, he immediately called the police. The police arrived that morning around 9 a.m. Police found Charlie on the front lawn, and he was slumped over, crying, and seemed to be acting hysterical. But upon further inspection, an officer did note in his report that despite all of the crying and hysterics, There were no tears on Charlie's face. And look, I know that people react to grief in different ways, so this is just all speculation, but I do think that that's interesting that he was acting that way and crying and there were no tears. So let's talk about the crime scene. We do not know very much, and that is that seems to be intentional, in my opinion. This was in 2019. The investigation is still open, and in my opinion, very little has been released to the public. With that being said, I was very fortunate to have a source contact me that is credible and worked the crime scene. But this source is going to remain anonymous. I want to respect them. So, Some of the things that I'm going to tell you are from the media, and then other things are going to come from this source. The bodies were found in the upstairs of the home, all laying face down, side by side, in a narrow hallway. The hallway was only about four to five feet long and two and a half to three feet wide. The hallway that everyone was found in led to the girls' bedrooms, Alexa and Nicole, or sorry, Alexa in London. And Nicole's cause of death was a single gunshot wound to the head. Alexa's cause of death was a single gunshot wound to the head as well. And London had two gunshot wounds, one to the head and one to the neck. And the bodies were also cold and rigid to the touch at this point. Rigor mortis had set in. So this would indicate that all the bodies had been there for at least several hours before the police arrived, which could fit with Charlie's timeline if he left the night before and Nicole had perhaps killed her two girls, committed suicide, they're laying there all night, and then he comes in the morning. Or there could have been something else that happened. He could be lying So we'll we'll get into theories later. But they're in rigor mortis, 
and lying next to Nicole's body was a handgun. Blood was found all around them, of course, and all over the floor, all over the surrounding walls as well. There was blood smeared, um, bloody handprints on the wall. There was smearing on the floors as if they had tried to, like, move away or perhaps escape from the situation. This source that I spoke to has worked on hundreds of crime scenes, and according to them, this crime scene just doesn't add up. The source also said it appeared that the girls had been getting ready for school because they had outfits laid out and they had clean sheets being put on their beds. This source also described the home decor as staged with very few family photos and the girls' rooms had nothing personal or typical of a young girl's room on the walls, so it just didn't really feel like a family home. It didn't feel super warm and inviting. But there was one personal touch, which was dozens of post-it notes all over the upstairs desk, the girls' mirrors, and these sticky notes had supportive and motivational notes written to the girls from Nicole. The house also had really great security. There were dozens and dozens of security cameras all over the home. Though I don't know if anything was captured during the night in question because none of that has been released. There is also a main security panel to the system that was in the garage of the home, but the security panel had been ripped out from the wall. I'm not sure if it was ripped out from the wall by the police or if it had been ripped out from the wall prior to everyone looking through the crime scene, but... Perhaps the perpetrator removed the system from the garage. I'm not sure. So again, a lot of this is speculation because so little has been released to the public. Something else that stuck out to me and seems to line up with what my source said is that the house, you know, lacking the personalization for the girls, um, there was an interview in People magazine with Vanessa, Nicole's best friend. Vanessa spent a lot of time with Nicole and also with Charlie when they were together. She would go to Charlie's home when they were in the earlier stages of their relationship. And in the interview, Vanessa recalled the time that Nicole and Charlie had an argument about his sound system. The sound system had gone out while they were listening to music outside. And Charlie immediately blamed this on the girls insisting that they must have done something to the equipment. But Nicole was like, they don't even know how to work this equipment. They didn't do anything. Like, she was very confident about that. And Vanessa expressed in this interview with People Magazine that she was around during this argument, and she felt very uncomfortable. Vanessa even pulled Nicole aside and was basically like, this is your home too, I don't like how he's talking to you. He needs to respect, you know, how you guys live in this house as well, essentially. And Nicole told Vanessa, it's not my home. It's his home. And these are his things. I'm a guest. And he reminds me of that all the time. So if this is true, it seems like Charlie was very particular about his things. And perhaps how the home was decorated, too. 
During the night in question, there were also four attempted missed calls from Nicole's phone around 11 p.m. At 11.09 p.m., someone from Nicole's phone attempted to call Charlie's mother, but there was no answer. So notice I'm saying someone from Nicole's phone. Um, We can't just assume Nicole was the one making these calls. It could have been one of her kids. It could have been Charlie. It could have been someone else. But someone tried to call Charlie's mother from Nicole's phone at 11.09 p.m. There was no answer. Then after that, there were four attempted calls to 911 from Nicole's phone as well. These were at 11.10, uh, Two of them were at 11.11, and one was at 11.12. Three calls did not connect to 911, but one did, but only for a very short period of time, and then it disconnected. So reports claim the call didn't go on for long enough to get a GPS location, And the county sheriff also reported that upon investigation, it was found the 911 operator did attempt to call the number back, but the call would not connect. So I don't know if there was something wrong with the signal in this area or what. I know that the houses are very spread out from each other. There's a lot of land. Uh, You won't really see or hear your neighbors. Um, So if it is more remote, like there could have been bad signal. Also, from another source, I was hearing that Nicole had been talking to Charlie's mother throughout the whole day up until the night of the murders, and she talked to several friends that day, like texting and on the phone, so I guess she liked to be on the phone a lot, and everyone that talked to her throughout the day said she sounded completely normal. Um, She was planning to take her daughter to an America's Got Talent audition either the next day or like within that week like she was talking about it excited looking forward to it and then Charlie Wheeler's mother said later in the evening she sounded different she was a lot shorter with her responses she seemed upset and she said she had changed her mind about the America's Got Talent thing but wouldn't really explain why So after police have looked through the crime scene initially, they exited the home and Charlie was seen across the street hugging someone. He was then placed in a police car and taken to the station for questioning. And during questioning, Charlie provided this whole version of events and the timeline I told you earlier about their argument and him leaving, coming back in the morning, all of that. One thing that I want to point out um, regarding the gun, the handgun that was found by Nicole, I couldn't find anything that indicated who the gun belongs to, but Charlie did know how to shoot guns, and he was known to keep guns in the home. Photos also could be found earlier on after this happened on his social media of him shooting guns. But the posts on his Facebook page and Instagram pages since then have been deleted. And I do want to emphasize Charlie Wheeler, nor anyone, has ever been named a suspect in this investigation, which I just think is crazy. Um, Charlie was named a person of interest along with several, several other people, but it doesn't seem that other people's names have been released, at least publicly. So basically, 
after all of this, the medical examiner at Bexar County, this is January 12th, examines the bodies. And just two days later, on January 14th, the Bexar County medical examiner ruled the deaths of Alexa and London as homicides, and Nicole's death was ruled as a suicide. The medical examiner also noted that the girls died before Nicole did. Carlos Montez, Alexa's father, would later say publicly that Charlie's home did not seem like a good place for his children to be and to be loved. He also said Nicole was a great mom and he never questioned her parenting and they continued to get along well after separating. After the murders, Alexa's boyfriend, Isaiah, also released a tribute video posted on Twitter saying, quote, January 10th, 2019, a part of me was taken. Through thick and thin, it was us against the world. Now I have to face this world alone. I know you'll be my guardian angel and guide me through it. Alexa Denise Montez, you will always be my forever and always. I love you, end quote. So on January 14th, the same day that the medical examiner ruled Alexa and London's deaths as homicides and Nicole's as a suicide, the sheriff also announced that the investigation was still in its early stages and the medical examiner also declined to make the results of the autopsies, including toxicology results, public. And as far as I know, those results were never made public, so... So I'm just going to kind of go through a timeline now. January 15th, 2019, friends cast a doubt on the suicide rulings and the deaths, and a family member created a GoFundMe in the name of London. The GoFundMe was set up to raise money for the Austin Zoo, one of London's favorite places. And the GoFundMe raised nearly $2,000 from 40 people in one day. On January 16th, 2019, there was a vigil held at the Oblate Mission Grotto to honor Nicole, Alexa, and London. And January 18th, 2019, a GoFundMe was created again to, quote, search for the truth. And the page raised over $50,000 in one day. So then, January 22nd, 2019, the FBI actually joined the investigation. January 23rd, the Bexar County Sheriff said publicly Charlie Wheeler was cooperating with the investigation. Sheriff Salazar also admitted this was the first time he had worked with the FBI like this. So Sheriff Salazar was the lead of the Bexar County Police Department for this investigation. As far as I know, he's also still the sheriff. January 25th, a visitation was held for Alexa, London, and Nicole's bodies at Mission Park Funeral Chapels in Stone Oak. And then on January 26th, they had their funeral services for all three of them. February 1st, Wheeler was put in the back of a squad car, and the investigators seized his wallet and phone. While he was sitting in the car, Wheeler told deputies that him and Nicole had gotten into an argument the night before, and Sheriff Salazar later named him a person of interest. Another thing I think is important to note is that during the investigation, an email was found on Nicole's phone, and it was from an apartment complex, and the apartment had basically told her, 
hey, we've got this three bedroom apartment per your request. It fits with the timeline of your move in, blah, blah, blah. So this could possibly point to her having plans to move out of the mansion and get her own place. Uh, June 26th, 2019, Charlie Wheeler's home went up for sale. And according to a real estate listing, the home was listed at $975,000. And the home was sold July 24th, 2019. On January 30th, 2020, a search warrant was released indicating the investigators were considering whether the deaths of a mother and her young daughters were a triple murder and not a murder-suicide. The warrant also stated investigators are interested in looking at electronic evidence in connection with the case. So I'm wondering if that had anything to do with the security system. And then February 4th, 2020, Friends of Olson publicly disagreed with the findings of suicide, adding they do not believe Nicole was suicidal, nor she would have killed her children. Nicole's family also pointed out in the press that Nicole had many plans to look forward to, such as London singing lessons, her clients being booked in the hair salon. Uh, they were also expecting a visit from her son that weekend. And other friends began to come forward in the press, beginning to express concerns for domestic violence between Charlie and Nicole. So now we're going to get into a couple more reports, and then we'll get into some theories. So one friend recalled Nicole showing up for a work photo shoot with a bruised eye, covering it with makeup. Nicole also admitted during this photo shoot that her and Charlie had gotten into an argument, but she wouldn't go into further detail. Nicole's best friend, Vanessa, also recalled the time that she and Nicole were going to a Spurs game. And on the way there, Charlie called Nicole asking to speak to Vanessa, which I think is kind of odd. But Charlie told Nicole's friend, Vanessa, that Vanessa was lucky that he was allowing Nicole to attend this game because he didn't trust her. And the same day after the game, Nicole and Vanessa went to a music club. And while they were out, Charlie was apparently blowing up Nicole's phone, calling over and over and over again. And Vanessa reported Nicole was visibly upset about this. So Charlie eventually found out Nicole's location and insisted she come home. So Nicole had to get up from the music club and leave suddenly. She couldn't even finish her drink. And Vanessa also reported telling Nicole this behavior was not okay and that it was abusive. Another time with Vanessa, she was hanging out with Nicole at Charlie's home and Charlie became very upset when a pepperoni had been dropped on the floor and Charlie started yelling at Nicole, blaming the mess on her daughters and demanded that she pick it up immediately. Vanessa also said after these events, she became so uncomfortable that she stopped going to Charlie's home. And she also said she and Nicole's other friends started seeing less and less of Nicole. Nicole became withdrawn and more quiet. So these are all classic, classic signs of domestic violence and abuse when you 
have bruises, when you're saying everything's fine and you're trying to downplay everything, when there's clear signs of control issues and manipulation in the relationship, and personality changes, and when you get less social. And I am saying this confidently from my own experience. So in my opinion, Nicole was definitely being abused. Another friend named Monica recalled a time in July of 2017 that Nicole and Charlie were at a hotel in Galveston, and they were celebrating their one-year anniversary. They got in a bad argument. Again, I don't know what about, but abusers tend to start arguments over nothing, so who knows? And Charlie actually was asked to leave the hotel because the argument was so bad. And I think it's pretty telling that the hotel only asked Charlie to leave. I feel like if Nicole was taking equal part in it, they would have asked her to leave as well. Just my opinion. So Charlie was escorted up to his hotel room by staff to get his belongings so that he could then leave. And he was so enraged, he took all of his belongings, but also all of Nicole's belongings, including her cell phone, and he just left her there. And Monica knew about this because after this happened, Nicole had to get a taxi, and she took the taxi to Monica's house, because she doesn't have a phone, and she told Monica everything that happened. And she also expressed to Monica at this time that she wanted to leave Charlie. But as soon as she got back to San Antonio, they got back together. So again, a very common sign in abusive relationships is when it's like on again, off again, and like you want to leave, but it's complicated if you're in danger, right? Going back to the timeline, now we're in February 2020. So February 11th, 2020, the family of the youngest Anaqua Springs murder victim, London, announced their push for red flag laws on the day that she would have turned 12. And red flag laws allow for temporary court-ordered removal of guns from people who are considered to be a danger to themselves or to others. The Brabiscus family believed that had this legislation been used in London's case, it may have prevented the tragedy, or some people believe. So this gets a little hairy. Some people think that maybe the Brabeskas family thinks Nicole actually did this and committed suicide, like changed their mind, I guess, in 2020. So then they were pushing red flag laws just for like gun control and more awareness. Other people think that they did this whole push for laws and lawsuits, which we'll find out later solely to like get more documented and get more information out to the public. I'm not sure, but I thought that was interesting. And in February 2020, the sheriff's office was still calling this an ongoing investigation. And like I said, to this day, the investigation is still open. So if we're going to go with the murder-suicide theory, why is the investigation still open? You know, like, it's clearly not open and shut. If it was, I feel like the case would have been closed by now. This happened over four years ago, you know? So then at some point, a nonprofit called Project Absentee also got involved in assisting with the investigation. And one of the members of Project Absentee is a retired FBI agent named Copeland. 
And Copeland is very adamant that Nicole did not do this. Copeland said in an interview, quote, In my 17 years experience as an FBI agent, there are some questions that need to be answered. There's evidence that needs to be collected before Nicole is ever called the murderer. I can't tell you passionately enough, Nicole, in my opinion, is not a murderer. I will go on record saying that she's not a murderer, and there's evidence out there that needs to be further analyzed before this case is closed, end quote. So I think that's pretty telling. November 24th, 2020, Sheriff Salazar says the family lawyer for the Anaqua Springs murder victims sent menacing emails to him. Sheriff Salazar said, quote, while I'm sure his civil suit and monetary damages, whatever it is he's hoping to recover is very important to him. To me, justice on the criminal side is even more important. So I won't let that be compromised, and I certainly won't be bullied into rushing an investigation because a civil attorney feels I need to rush it. So the families are putting all this pressure on the Bexar County office at this point, the police department, which of course they are. That's their job. They are passionate about their families. They're advocating for them. I think police absolutely need pressure on them to get things done. Again, my opinion. But I will say one thing that I appreciated about Sheriff Salazar and the press is that he was pretty adamant about saying very early on, look, we do not have the information to declare this a murder-suicide. Yes, that's what the medical examiner is saying. But at the same time, clearly there's, there's things in the investigation they found that's made them want to keep it open, right? So... He was very public in saying, like, we don't know. We're keeping this open. I don't want to label this woman a murderer of her children. I want to be absolutely sure before I allege anything like that. So I did appreciate that. Uh, January 4th, 2021, we found out more details about the investigation showing that the hours leading up to the deaths, one of the girl's fathers had texted Nicole and one of the girl's paternity was brought into question. So for a while, there was this theory that maybe one of the girl's fathers was responsible for the murders because of the whole paternity question, but I haven't heard anything else about that. I couldn't find any more information. January 10th, 2021, London Brabeska's family filed a civil suit against Nicole's boyfriend, Charlie Wheeler, for leaving Olsen alone in the house with her daughters, knowing that there was an unsecured gun in the house. And in the suit, London's father claimed he was fully aware, like Charlie was fully aware when he left that night, that Nicole was being erratic. And so he basically said Charlie was being irresponsible. As for the criminal case, the sheriff assigned it to a new investigator who specialized in cold cases. So... The case went to cold cases in 2021. On May 20th, 2021, more information was released about the apartments email that Nicole had received. Fox San Antonio obtained an email sent to Olson, and it's believed she received that email on the day she died. It was from the Grand at the Dominion Apartments, just six miles from Charlie Wheeler's home. She had toured the apartments, according to her family, December 31st, 2018. So this was just nine days, I think, 
before the murders. So it was pretty immediately before. And the email said uh, they were reaching out to see how the apartment search was going. And they had the three-bedroom Fredericksburg floor plan available that you loved. And it's in your move-in time frame. In 2021, in September, the family of one of the daughters also wanted the Texas Rangers to take over the investigation. So I thought that was interesting. It's like they're clearly trying to get movement and get things done. Uh, On January 16th, 2023, a huge true crime podcast, Crime Junkies, covered this case. So I'm hoping that huge podcast platforms like theirs combined with other podcasts like this one just continuing to get the word out will hopefully help the family and getting more answers and more being released to the public um so long as it doesn't interfere of course with the investigation so let's get into some theories really quickly there is of course the murder suicide theory because nicole from some reports was acting erratic and seemed her behavior changed that evening. She had a awful past growing up and she had a history of being in domestic violence situations. Um, so maybe she didn't see a way out and, you know, did this as a way out. So that's basically one of the theories is that the murder-suicide was her way to escape the situation. And of course, the fact that the medical examiner ruled her death a suicide and that she was killed after the girls were. So that's the murder-suicide theory in a nutshell. The other theory is that all three of them were murdered either by a hitman that Charlie Wheeler hired or that one of the girls' fathers may be hired because of the paternity questioning or that, of course, Charlie Wheeler could have been the murderer. So as far as, like, the hitman theory, in my personal opinion, I I feel like that theory makes the most sense because by all accounts, Nicole was a great mom. She would never do this to her children. And I know people say that, but I, I've just heard it from so many people and like reliable sources too, I feel like. Like close family, close friends, this anonymous source that worked the scene and all those motivational quotes to her children, no issues in her prior marriages with parenting, you know? Like, they were very amicable. Charlie Wheeler was very wealthy. He clearly had the means to hire someone if he needed to do that. He also had guns in the house, and he knew how to operate his security system, so he could have very easily manipulated that situation and that timeline to where the hitman could get in and out. With that being said, though, it is a gated community and there were security guards there. I don't know if the security guards are there 24-7, but I'm not sure how this guy would have gotten in if he, you know, if he hired a hitman. If Charlie did it, from what we're seeing publicly, his alibi doesn't exactly check out. It hasn't been verified publicly that he was indeed with relatives during the night of the murders. And he would have had motive, in my opinion, because he could have found out that Nicole was leaving him. He was very controlling. They did have a lot of reports of excessive control, manipulation, at least verbal 
abuse, if not physical, with the history of her showing up to work with bruises on her eyes. And I don't think that there has to be this one clear, distinct reason as to why he could have killed her with domestic violence. You know, there's not really um, a clear reason or rationale for abusers. It's all about control at that point. So that's like one of the most dangerous, I think, no, it's the most, it's the most dangerous time for uh, victims of abuse is when they're trying to leave that situation um, for them to be seriously hurt or murdered. So those are the main theories. In my personal opinion, if anyone's curious, I don't think Nicole did this, but again, that's just my opinion, and we'll see what unfolds, but I truly hope that the families of the victims find justice and closure, and I hope that Nicole, Alexa, and London are resting peacefully. I do want to mention the Brobeska's family sent a letter to the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, requesting he reassign the investigation to the Texas Rangers. And in a Ken 5 News article, the family was quoted saying, Bexar County Sheriff Javier Salazar has failed his duty to seek justice for London and her sister, Alexa Montez, has inflicted pain on their surviving family to distract from his own incompetence, and has broken his word to me and my clients to close the investigation into their deaths and release the results of the Bexar County Sheriff's Office so that they may find closure. And I'm sorry, but this case being left unanswered is insane. We can't accept things like this in our justice system. These poor families have waited long enough. There's two young children involved and a mother. So I I can't imagine the trauma and sorrow that they've had to carry with them every day. And then on top of that, they're waiting for movement in this case. So here's my call to action. Everyone listening to this podcast, please go to texasattorneygeneral.gov slash contact dash us. I'll put the link in the episode description as well. And contact the Crime Victims Unit. Their contact information is listed at the link I just provided. Call them, email them. It says their phone lines are open Monday through Friday. Imagine if this was your family. This is simply unacceptable. I truly believe that we have the power to force change and force movement in situations like this by refusing to stay silent and refusing to take no for an answer. I have reached out to them, but there is strength in numbers, so please contact them. You can also contact the Bexar County Sheriff's Office by phone. You can go to their website to demand movement in this case. So I will put all of this information in the show notes. Please share this episode and spread the word about this case to others as well. I do want to say thank you to the listener that requested this story and a special thank you to my anonymous source who was very helpful in my research. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember all those wonderful ways that you can support the show, support me. 
The number one best way is to rate, review, follow, subscribe, word of mouth. That's like the only way really that I get listeners is by you telling your friends and family about the show. So that means the absolute world to me. Thank you in advance. And if you've already done so, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you have a topic request or you want to share stories of your own with me, you can DM me on Instagram, Perplexity Mystery Podcast, or you can contact me through my website, which the link for that is in the episode description. I haven't bought a domain yet, so it's just easier if you do it that way. Or you can email me, perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail. So lots of ways to contact me. I would love to read your story on the podcast if you have a story of your own, or if you just have a topic request. I'm happy to look into it and try to cover it for you. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Bye!